Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Everybody to another episode of The Geek Buddies! Hey! Well, as you've heard, that's all three of our voices. We are back together again after uh, they kicked me out of the car to take Kalinowski with them down to Comic-Con. Wasn't that an enjoyable interview? I am one of your hosts, John Roca. I am a voiceover artist, but I'm also a writer, producer, and host over at Collider, uh, and also co-host of the Top Ten and the Cinephiles. Uh, this is Michael Vogel. I'm a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. And uh, for those of you that were concerned, we did find gas. It was real touch and go for a second there. We did find a gas station the last second. We barely made it back with our lives, but we've returned from Comic-Con and reunited with our favorite buddy, hey, John Steven Roca. Hey, when, when the gas light comes on and then the gas light starts to blink, yeah. you know you're, you're riding on fumes at that point. I thought it was just winking at me. <laughs> <laughs> and this is Shannon McClung. I am an animation writer and a television actor where you may have seen me on My Name is Earl, uh, The Wizards of Waverly Place, yes. one of John's favorite credits, Hell and yeah. uh, Law and Order Los Angeles. And right now, Michael is making eyes at my uh, lovely stout that John was so kind to give me, and he's making kind of a, an ugly face it's at it It's called right now. Fudgement Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is my girlfriend's friend. Uh, runs this brewery out uh, a little a few hours away in Northern California, and she was very kind to send us some stouts because she knows me and Shannon are big fans of stouts, it, and so Shannon's drinking it. Is it's, that a dog or a beaver? It's a beaver because that's the name of the uh, brewery. Yeah, isn't you it? say it's, it's Belching Beaver. Belching so it's Beaver. A, it's a beaver, but it's like a Terminator beaver, <clears throat> and yeah. half the face is a robot, and it has some some weed growing out of its head. Uh, sure. Maybe it's, I don't think that's cannabis. It's legal, and then it's there's no. Oh, it, here we go. Pine? It, it's black forest fudge. Oh, black forest fudge. So you know, there green you that that green that's from the forest. There you go. It's the fudge. black forest fudgement day. You'll be back. All right, <laughs> continuing on. Sorry, I just got really distracted by Shannon's drink. Come will, with me if you want to drink. Uh, there I, it is. You know, I will say it was great to listen to the episode, but like. Yeah, I missed going this year. Like eventually, overall, like you know, when we got back from the wedding and everything like that, it was still and and the wedding was completely worth it. I have to say that Joe and Jackie in Portland, it was a fantastic wedding. In case they're listening, yeah, in case Joe listens, (laughs) Joe listens. First thing he said to me at the rehearsal dinner was, "I hope my wedding's worth it for you to miss Comic Con." Because I heard about it on the Geek Buddies, so she he listens to the episode. So Joe and Jackie, it was a beautiful wedding. Thank you for inviting Lindley and I. We had a great time. Congratulations, Joe Con- and yes, Jackie. Congratulations. Well, you will be happy to know that even though everybody had a lovely time at Comic Con this year, the the phrase "It's not the same without Johnny" was said oh, more than once. That's nice. And because we were in a different hotel, you know, we had a very oh. nice pool at this one where we we stopped by the pool a couple of times. Oh, this nice. Year. Yeah, that would have been a fantastic place for us to. We could have recorded. Oh, we could have. Side. We could have recorded probably every day, I would imagine. One of my favorite 
moments of the entire weekend at Comic-Con that we did not talk about on the podcast was when we went down to the pool on Saturday, yeah. and there was a guy in full Captain Jack Sparrow garb, nice. fully, fully in character, sashaying to his deck chair to lay out and get some sun. And I was like, "This is this is this is some Comic Con realness." He, he stripped down to his pants and his shirt, everything what? else he took off to the side, and then I don't know if you saw, he went and got a drink, and yeah. he sparrowed all the way to the bar. That is perfect. <laughs> if only they could have had him ride. Um, a sinking ship sinking through the pool up to his up to his deck chair that would have been perfect to jump off. Uh, no, I, I mean there was some footage. What was your favorite piece of footage, if I can ask? Or did, did you guys didn't, all, didn't you listen to the podcast? Oh, I did. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. All right, fine. <laughs> I just thought I wanted to rehash it for people who may have, maybe didn't listen because I wasn't on it. No, no, no. Terminator Dark Fate. Yeah, still Terminator, Terminator Dark overall, Fate. huh? Yep. I think Terminator Dark, Terminator Dark Fate and the Picard trailer, I think, are my two favorite things that uh, they came out of Comic-Con that still days later I was talking about with people. You didn't like the Black Widow footage? I'm the I, only one who saw it. Oh, right. I was not there. You did not get in. And I thought it was right. great. I thought the Black, right? I, the Black Widow footage was great. Uh, it was really, it was a, like I said mm-hmm. in the podcast, we did this great fight scene. Right. Um, in a kitchen, reveal of Taskmaster, kind of the way they set up the trailer kind of like made you realize that this movie's taking place between Civil War and Infinity War. So it was all really good and interesting, mm-hmm. but it wasn't the um I think the difference was that the Terminator Dark Fate footage was so far and above better than yeah. any of us were expecting to okay. a point where we all got super excited about it. And right. you kind of expect Marvel footage to be good. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then um the Picard trailer was just it kind of played on all the nostalgia of mm-hmm. anyone who grew up loving Trek while at the same time feeling like something that's com- completely new. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting trick. Okay. I think the Black Widow footage was solid, made me interested in the movie, yeah. made me more excited about Black Widow than I was going in, okay. but it didn't blow me out of the water the way some of the other announcements coming out of the Marvel okay. panel blew me out of the water. Well, speaking of the Picard, let me ask you guys one thing. Now, it's been announced ever since the trailer dropped consistently day after day that just about everybody's coming back from New Generation. Except for Geordi, there's some contract negotiations going on. Apparently, the Reading Rainbow is a really important thing. And he's got to negotiate what hey, he's got to do. Take a look. It's in a book, man. <laughs> I get that. But damn it, you got to have Geordi. So, uh, especially if we're going to put data in this thing. So, um, are you guys excited that the old crew is coming back? Yeah. Because I'm not so excited. I would have liked it if only a few of them came back. But the fact that it seems like everyone's coming back is an interesting situation. But we don't know in what capacity yeah, they're true, coming back. True. There's clearly a new cast. There's clearly yeah, a new which crew. Looks great. Uh, there's new people. There's new experiences. So, look, I mean, if it was the entire cast was coming back and the entire crew of the Enterprise was going to go on another adventure together, I'd be yeah. like, eh, okay, whatever. But depending on how they come back, you know, where they are, I mean, it would be weird to me if a lot of them didn't come back because they would be around unless they all died in right. some way that we don't know about. Like if Picard is still kicking uh, and doing his thing, then everyone else should be around. So I think the fact that they are all around, if they're not, you, if, as long as they're not overused, I think it'll yeah. really make things feel like a continuation of a story that we've all been excited about. I actually, and I, I keep meaning to do this and I've just been really busy this week. Uh, mm-hmm. I've never seen Nemesis, Star Trek Nemesis. Okay. And I know it's bad. Like terrible. I know, no, I know it's not a good movie, which is why I've never seen it even though I love Next Generation. Yeah. That's the Tom Hardy but, one, right? Yeah. But based on everything I'm reading and some stuff from the Picard trailer like 
Nem- and Nemesis, Nemesis is clearly in. playing yeah. into what happened. So it's like I feel like yeah. I need to go back and watch it now just to brush up on my uh, on my on my Star Trek history. Well, it's nice to see the Romulans kind of stepping in to be the bad guy, it seems like. And you get the Seven of Nine thing and the Borg stuff. All of that looks exciting. All yeah. of that looks really exciting where it's going to go. And I think you're right. It's the capacity with which they're coming back. Maybe a couple of episodes, like helping out. Maybe they're on a planet that they have to go to to get this. Someone mentioned uh, that the child could be Q's child. The girl could be Q's child, which is why she could be, you know, blow up the world. I was talking to I was I think I saw it online. Somebody put that theory out there, and I was like, "Oh, that's interesting. That's a way of still having Q in this thing without maybe necessarily bringing Q back until later down the road." Maybe I I, I still <laughs> I'm leaning more towards Borg something. Oh yeah, you think she's a Borg, whether, a child of the whether, Borg, a child of the Borg, Borg human hybrid, okay. some next generation Borg something like okay. no, no pun intended, um, but like uh, Borg 2.0. Like I don't know. I just feel like there's. Yeah, no one says 2.0. Oh, my God. Why? Because I said next... Yeah, get out of here. <laughs> get out of here. It's been a long day. Oh, has it? Uh, yeah, I mean, we'll see. Uh, that's that's one of the things that... Uh, from all the trailers I saw, I agree with you guys. That's one of the things I was most yeah. most excited about and, and looking forward to. And I wish I'd been in the room when they announced Maharshali. I would have lost my mind. I mean, I was in the room and everybody lost their mind. Yeah. It was... It was Marvel, and as we said last week, uh, Marvel knows how to run a panel. Yep. I mean, they do a really good job of making everybody, all the actors come out and they say what they say, and it all feels very off the cuff and like whatever, chill, but you know yeah. that like they are all like, this is what you're saying, this is how you're saying, this is how we're going to reveal this. Right. Uh, but they do it really, really well. It was great. Uh, yeah. It was, no, just like to your point, like when in the, it was so casual, it was like the last thing, oh, by the way, and Mahershal <laughs> Ali comes out and that Blade logo came up and people went bananas. Wow. Uh, I heard some rumor about Phase 5, which I'll talk to you guys about off mic, but because um, I can't say anything about it. But like, um, Shannon, for, oh. for you trolling through the. Or walking through the uh, floor. Because I know you do that. I think Mikey does it, but he doesn't do it at the level that you do it. Did you find anything that you really enjoyed on the floor? I don't do it to the level that I feel like you and Kalinowski do it. That's true. Uh, Fair point. I can go in on preview night when it's not as insane. Right, But right. I get, you know, I'm a, I'm a smaller guy. <laughs> and I don't like getting caught in that sea of people. Yeah. Um, no, I always Is it hard going. to see over them, or is it more a matter of... Okay, I was just asking. Take take your pick. <laughs> I, know, I know I know we're busting balls right now, but this is a very real concern with me. <laughs> I, apologize. Okay, I apologize. Jesus. Get caught in an avalanche of smells. That's <laughs> true. You are butt level. That's no lie. You're close to butt level. I'm not like circus heights. No, no, I'm not so saying. Yeah. No, the floor the floor was good this year. I mean, I I, I always go to my favorite, you know, Tower of T-shirts yeah, stand. Yeah, yeah. I always get my four did T-shirts. You get, did you get four? I did. Okay. Yeah, I got I got myself a all knife. from the stand. All from the stand. Okay. All from the Style stand. Styling Uh No, Styling Bylan's the the smaller one. Tower oh. of T-shirts is the other one. Oh right, 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 right. I'm I, not a fan uh, of Styling Bylan or I'm Tower not, of T-shirts. Neither. Wow. Why don't you like Tower of T-shirts? I think is it all- the setup. No, the, the setup's fine. I think all the t-shirts at Comic-Con... I think I've been spoiled by online geek uh, right. sites. Like, I, I like my t-shirts to be a little bit more uh, weird, original, something different. Like, yeah. like I think they do fine, but like you know, you go into that big tower of t-shirts to me, it's like, here's all the logos you want. Here's all the... You, you want your Iron Man shirt. You want your Superman shirt. Yeah. You want your Harley Quinn. You want your Joker. Like They're all there, but there's nothing... 
there's no twist on them. Like I like I like a mashup. I like a Star Wars Hamilton T-shirt, or I like a you know a funny little tweak on a Disney thing. Like and so like they don't really have those. That is fair. And so for me. I uh my my t-shirt buying at Comic-Con has gone down dramatically. My t-shirt buying, I mean it 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 had there was there was a little bit of a drop because sometimes the uh fabric, I mean it's it's a little uh, harsher yeah. I, and the fabric has gotten softer and it's gotten nicer. Mm. Um I never go into Comic-Con thinking I'm going to buy four shirts. I've always like I would rather just go to a site. Mm. I'm like, you know what? It's actually cheaper to go to the site. It is. And it's more original, but then I you know, I get caught up in the moment. Yeah, that's and fair. I and I got I got that's my Nightwing shirt and I got an Aquaman shirt. Oh, good. That's part of but that's part of Comic-Con. So, you know, that's yeah. part of it. Yeah. Comic-Con. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a quick recap. I appreciate you guys talking about it. Oh, and one more thing for the wedding. Shout out to Beth, my uh Lindley's cousin. She was hilarious at the wedding. Tore the house down. She did a speech at the rehearsal dinner uh, where she pretended that she had loaded the wrong graphics and it was a presentation for a corporation. (laughs) And so she used all corporate terms to describe their marriage and then used a flow chart and, uh, you know, I started all these images and things that it was brilliant. Very, very very funny. So uh, there you go. So, you know, it's not it's not Marvel. But it was all right. I still enjoyed myself. Uh, and Portland's a weird city. It's a freaky little city. I dig it, but it's a freaky little city. Isn't so. there their sort of unofficial tagline, keep Portland weird? Yeah, it's certainly weird. In a good way. Yeah. It's certainly weird. We had a nice time. It's, it's, it sounds like you loved it. Yeah, we hit that pal. <laughs> the pal's books was a highlight, definitely. All right, anyway, so you guys know how the Geek Buddies works every week. Uh, and if you're new to it, this is your first time hearing it, we'll explain to you. Every week, uh, each of us brings a geek news story that we want to talk about. We talk about it for a little bit, and then we get to our main topic. Topic. Today's main topic is basically a breakdown of Tarantino and what's going on in his career now. Uh, once upon a time of Hollywood, a little bit of touching upon that, but more about like, is he going to do this 10th film? What's it going to be? Is he going to retire? And then where he's at right now or the state of his career? A so, bit of a retrospective, if you will. Yeah, retrospective. That's let's, a great point. Let's just talk yeah. Tarantino for a bit. Why didn't you say that earlier? I wouldn't have wasted three minutes. You would have told me that I was running the show and I'm trying to not oh. run the shows because you're, our, you're the boss man. <laughs> This is his way of trying to run the show definitely. I get it. I get it. I respect it. I respect the tactic. Uh, anyway. Power move. Power move. Full power move. Full power move. Well, speaking of power moves, I'm going to go first here. Uh, the Irishman trailer dropped uh, this morning. Dropped. Beastie Boy reference there. It dropped this morning from Netflix. Pretty surprising uh, that we're getting because there was no uh, hoopla that it was coming out and it just dropped it. And I watched it like 10 times today uh, throughout the day at various moments. And I just absolutely love the trailer, love the Scorsese's back with De Niro, with uh, uh, Pesci. Pesci leading the trailer is great. Pacino is Jimmy Hoffa is fantastic. Uh, and everybody involved in the cast, Harvey Keitel, Anna Paquin, Jesse Plemons, so many great people involved in this. So for me, and you can tell, they spent money on this film. You can tell from that trailer. It's they- shocking when you watch when you watch the mm. trailer, even though I knew this, yeah. you kind of get caught up in the trailer. And when the Netflix logo comes up at the end, it's jarring because it, it looks like a big studio, yeah. big like kind of winter Oscar contender yeah. release. Uh it Netflix is coming to play. Like yep. it it it's a that is a movie. Yeah. And and it's uh, the budgets were set around 160, but now there are rumors coming out that it's closer to 200 million for this wow. movie, which is madness. And it may be them essentially buying an Oscar. 
if this thing gets nominated, if because it's going to be in the theaters for the amount of time to be nominated and wins Best Picture, are we talking about a film that is possibly in contention not only for Best poss- best Picture, but Best Actors, yeah. Score, uh, Robbie Robertson does the score from the band, and uh, Pietro is the, Rodrigo Pietro, I think his name is, is the uh, is the cinematographer. So all these things are in play. What did you guys think of the trailer? Uh, Netflix has never scored a best uh, a best picture nominee. Not right? a win. Not a win. They've nomination. I, oh, for Roma, uh, oh, Car- yeah, and Beasts of No Nation. I think yeah. was nominated. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I really enjoyed it. I'm not huge into the organized crime movies. Okay. Um, but this is based on a true story. Right, 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 right. And is, is and De Niro is playing the De- Irishman. De Niro's playing the Irishman, okay. which is a true story. That guy did exist. And Pesci is a true, uh, is a real person, and obviously Jimmy Hoffa is a real person. Yeah. I mean, I think you put the three of them together with uh, De Niro, Scorsese, Pesci. I mean, you're you're bound to have something special, and then you throw Pacino in there as well. I, I think this this checks off all the boxes. Yeah. I mean, I will definitely, even though we're going to get it for free on Netflix, I will want to see this one in the theaters. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right? I'd probably go see this in the theaters. Uh, I was super impressed with it. I was reading that uh, also. Because the all of them play uh, these characters at very different points in their yeah. life. That they the that uh, ILM I think that yeah, the doing, they do a lot of de aging in this movie. That they play these characters at lots of different levels in their lives, lots of different ages, and some of that is accomplished with makeup, but a lot of it is done with de aging. And I don't even think we've seen in the trailer how much they've done. So I'm curious to see that as well. So I there's, think it's going to be really interesting. There's certainly de aging with De Niro when he's talking. At the end there. Yeah. The end. Yeah, you see a little bit. Like, they take 20 years off his life or whatever. But you're right, Mike, it's told in retrospect. So he is, like, in his 70s when he's telling all these stories of what happened. So it'll be fascinating to see how more far back they go to DH him. Like, is he 30 in the movie or Exactly. Whatever? And on wow. the heels of Gemini Man trailer, I wonder what they're going to be able to do with he'll have you, like, if, he'll, if he starts the movie and he's like, when I was a boy growing up... <laughs> And they de-age him to like 10 years old, but it's like, it's Robert De Niro playing a 10-year-old. Like, would you be like, ah! <laughs> It's adult-sized head on a 10-year-old's body. <laughs> Give me, you're going to keep me after school? I keep you after school. And then Jeff Goldblum shows up and he's like, they were so, they're, they're trying to figure out if they could do it. They didn't stop to think if they should. <laughs> Nature finds a way. <laughs> Scorsese finds a way. <laughs> what do you guys think? Do you think? It, do you think from the trailer it has that kind of Oscars vibe? Possibly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, one hundred percent. That's an awards. If movie. this wasn't the only reason that somebody would say that it's not that is because it's on Netflix. If yeah. this was coming out in theaters at any point right. with Scorsese with this cast with everything, this has Oscar written all over it for sure. A fascinating thing that came up when we were talking about our movie talk was Jeff Snyder. He said uh, a movie. With all unsavory characters, hasn't won a Best Picture Oscar since The Departed with Scorsese. Oh, interesting. So could this be another film with unsavory characters that Scorsese, you know, guides to a Best Picture Oscar? Interesting. We'll see. Because nothing that's come out, and we're in July, we're about to enter into August. Nothing that's come out has been like, you know, universal Best Picture. You really got to beat this thing. Blah blah blah. Okay. Yet. So this could be the one that does it. We'll yeah, see. do you think any Best Picture nominees have come out yet? Uh, I think you could argue Endgame. A lot of people would argue Endgame. Really? Oh, yeah. I think people will argue Endgame. Absolutely. You, you would pick Endgame over like Once Upon a Time? In Hollywood? Yeah. N- not, not your personal feelings, but the reception. That's a good question. I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is an Oscar contender. Yeah. Uh, Simply I think- because it's Tarantino? 
not simply because it's Tarantino. Like, we'll, you know, we'll get into a yeah. spoiler review separately from this, and we'll talk about the movie in a little bit. But, like, I... I have my issues with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I also think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a very, very well-made movie. Yes. Um, and I think that I think that it definitely – and also it is a movie that is, a, it is about a lost era of Hollywood that many people in Hollywood are very fond of. It's about it, – it, it's, it's a very Hollywood movie about Hollywood that Hollywood will enjoy. So mm-hmm. I think that kind of yeah. guarantees it sort of an Oscar uh, slot. And I think that uh, The Irishman could definitely be another one. Yeah, and the last question is, do you think the 50s, do you think the 50s, 60s stuff will appeal to the 20s and 30s? Because a lot of people are saying that the problem with Once Upon a Time Hollywood is you've got to come in knowing the story behind Manson and Sharon Tate. Are people going to come in wanting to see that, a film about well, Jimmy Hoffa? That, that's two different things. 20s and 30-year-olds not knowing something that a movie purposely doesn't inform you about is is one thing. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that people, younger people, older people, whatever, if a good story is a good story, it doesn't matter when it's set. And I okay. mean, I think that... Fair enough. Uh, I think if, it's, if, if Irishman is a compelling story and the trailer so far makes it look like it is... Yeah. Uh, I think it could be really interesting. That's a good point. I remember watching Blood Feud in the in the eighties, and that was about the Robert Kennedy Jimmy Hoffa thing. It was a miniseries on TV, and I'd never seen anything about Jimmy Hoffa or Bobby Kennedy. And I was a teenager when I saw it, and it made me want to go find out as much as possible. So I, I maybe still this love, one does that. I still love it. Was just on the other day, and I ended up watching it. I still love the Post from last year. Oh yeah. Uh, I did not know everything about the Nixon tapes and about all. Like I didn't know any of that stuff. I learned a lot from that movie, and it mm-hmm. did make me go look at other stuff. But I think. It's a very compelling thing. I think yeah. that jumping ahead, I think what Tarantino did with the Manson murders and Sharon Tate and stuff was not offer you enough information within the story that he yeah. was telling. Don't disagree with that. To make it clear if you didn't know. Like I came out of that movie with a group of people and there was a few people that were a little bit confused. Yeah. So I think that fair. we'll talk about that in a minute. We will. Michael has said so. All right, Michael, oh what's God. your second? Oh, my God. <laughs> Mikey, take it. What's your thing? Um, well, speaking of Comic-Con, actually, you know, we did our whole Comic-Con review, and uh, there was something that actually I did notice on the floor of Comic-Con when we were there that I didn't really think about that much until I read an article in Forbes uh, mm-hmm. that I shared with you guys today. Yeah. But, uh, you know, one of the big things when you go to Comic-Con and you walk the floor uh, for years, I mean, I think from the very first time that I ever went was the DC Comics booth. Right in the center. Like right, the in the center. Thing, right, yeah. right in the center. Right in the center of the Comic-Con uh, convention floor. Um, huge, giant posters of all the DC comics, a lot of like collectibles. That's mm-hmm. where all the comic book artists and writers show up for things. I mean, it was like a thing that you always went to visit. Yeah. You know, you always went to go see the latest, like the DC figurines that were coming out, the toys that were coming out, like everything was there. And it was a huge thing. And walking into the convention center this year, it wasn't there. Right. Uh, there's no DC booth and it sort of got folded in to the Warner media booth that was in the back sort of left corner there was still a very nice booth it was really kind of cool and clean like all you know very bright and colorful not color it was all bright and white and like mm-hmm. whatever um and it was promoting a lot of the a lot of the shows all the cw shows it had some stuff promoting some of the comics on some big screens and stuff but it definitely wasn't as um comic book uh, centric centric mm-hmm. As the DC booth was. And, you know, you're kind of like, okay, I guess that makes sense, whatever, they're consolidating. Didn't really think about it until I read this article in Forbes yeah. um, that actually was talking about the lack of the DC booth and talking about that ever since the uh, the merger where AT&T bought WarnerMedia, yeah. um, that 
there's been this shift happening and the DC Comics booth at Comic-Con disappearing is part of that. Um, and just talking about the way that they're handling it and with comic book sales going down. Um, and, you know, also they started like a lot of things that have been happening recently. They lined up the fact that uh, the Vertigo imprint at DC has been canceled. Right. Uh, Mad Magazine. Which right. has been around since like the fifties. The fifties right? has been canceled, yeah. um, and that Warren, that AT and T as a parent company doesn't really care about the comics. The only thing they care about them in so much is like they they represent IP yeah. that are being used in movies and television to success, or you know, to somewhat to success, depending on how what your opinion is of the DC films. Yeah, um, but it's an interesting kind of sign of things to come. Of like, what is AT&T as the parent company of all of this stuff going to do and as you're looking at DC sort of become smaller and some of these imprints and labels being shuttered and everything else mm. it really is a question you know you look over at what Disney has done with Marvel and Star Wars and everything else and like they definitely still have it Marvel clearly still has a presence they were the biggest panel at Comic-Con even though they're going to get looped into D23 Star Wars still is a huge presence at Comic-Con uh, so that's one way of handling it but it really does raise a question of like what is the future for DC Comics with AT&T as their parent company now? Yeah, that's a good question. We should give credit to the writer of the article, Rob Salkowitz, there on Forbes. Where does DC Comics fit in AT&T's vision for Warner Media? It was a fantastic read, Mike. Yeah. Great suggestion to, to put it on the show. And, you know, I wasn't there, so I couldn't see the missing DC booth. But reading the article, you get this feeling that this is essentially a company that doesn't care about your feelings, doesn't care about your thoughts about this property. It's about what's the bottom line, what's making the money. That's what we're going to put our our branding behind or our, our push behind. And uh, uh, Berline has his shows that are doing well, or Berlanti rather, has his shows that are doing well. Where do we go next and what's the level of the, of the comic book interaction we're going to have with the fans? Well, and the real question is, and you know, when you look at and again, this is not me picking on DC because I actually really do want DC to do really, right. really well. But when you look at the world we live in now, when you look at kids today, kids are running around in Captain Marvel yep. shirts and Incredible Hulk sh uh, shoes. And like they, the Marvel characters are their characters. Yep. And most of them know these characters through the movies, but they're getting storybooks. They're doing, they're not going and buying comics per se, right. but they are very much invested in those characters in those worlds in a way that young children are not invested in Superman. Uh, Batman. In, in Batman and Wonder Woman, like the the movies are popular, but right. kids you don't see kids running around uh, dressed as Aquaman the way that they are dressed as some of the Marvel characters as Miles Morales or as yep. Spider Man, and it really does raise the question of like what is what is it that DC and Warner Brothers should be doing to ensure that the next generation grows up loving these loving these characters the way that our generation has grown up loving them. And I think Marvel and Disney have sort of figured that out. And I yeah. think the comics will continue to roll with them. But it did, like reading this article kind of made me realize, oh shit, like is DC like is DC in trouble? Like yeah. are we going to like are we going to stop getting new stories? We'll always have the stories we grew up with. Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, these characters will always exist for us. Those right. graphic novels will always sell, but are we going to stop getting new stories, new characters? Uh it's a big it's a big question. It is. It's a scary thought because again, uh, despite the results of the DC cinematic universe, I mean, you know, the three of us have seen uh, some really high points for DC. I mean, Batman the Animated Series, the Superman Animated Series, leading into Justice League. Like, these are all really, really good. Granted, they were geared more towards adults. So going forward, I don't know. I mean, is is 
aim, having a more kid-friendly approach to the DC characters is that the answer because they tried that with Justice League Action. Now, this was a really good show, and it was aimed at a younger audience, and it just got buried. It got buried, but Teen Titans Go, huge. Yeah, true. Um, Young Justice. Young Justice. Huge coming back. Huge. I mean, I think Young Justice is the most popular thing on DC streaming. Yeah. Um, But that's more aimed towards teens and above, though, wouldn't you say? I think Young Justice is appeals to an older audience uh, because of its serialization, but I still think it's a really strong animated show. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many kids are watching uh, the DC streaming service. Right. Um, you know, I mean, I think that's the big key there. So I don't know, but it, yeah. it it's a it's you know they also the article does make a point that the one place that DC is stronger than Marvel is in the iconography of their characters. The yeah. Superman, Green Lantern, Batman the T-shirts, Flash, Flash yeah. those logos, those T-shirts actually sell better yeah. and are more popular than the Marvel counterparts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, like from a kind of consumer product standpoint. Like they're like, oh, AT and T will like dive into that. They'll still do this as a, as a lifestyle brand mm-hmm. of selling that stuff. But as far as getting new stories and what's happening with DC, it kind of just raises some questions. It'll be curious to see as this, as this goes along because obviously it's only been what since Wonder Woman they've started kind of turning the tide uh, overall. Of course, Justice League didn't do so well, but Aquaman made a billion dollars. Shazam was very well received. We'll see how Green Lantern Corps turns out. We'll see how the Wonder Woman sequel turns out. What they do with the one, or the Aquaman stuff with the trench or whatever. And if who's going to be the new Superman and how Robert Pattinson's Batman. Maybe if those all those start a lot of to questions. yeah, if all those start to uh, bear fruit, then maybe this interest goes back into the comics to make them more of a singular thing and put that booth back in the middle just for the attention well, alone. And I mean, like, even like today, uh, was it today on Twitter? Ava DuVernay like yes, uh, was today. tweeting yeah. about like you know the characters that you know kind of yeah. like, that the Furies and Big Barda were going to be in her New Gods movie. Oh, Dark Side, uh, Dark, Dark Side, Side was yeah. going to be in the new movie, and you know, I mean, these are characters. It's really funny, you know. You look at what Marvel's doing with Eternals, where like nobody knows who the hell the Eternals are, right? But everyone's excited about it. And with Ava DuVernay kind of like talking about these characters that are in it that older people know, like I know who the Furies are. You know who, like we yeah. know who Big Barda is. Yeah. But like you know, to younger kids, it's like even if they discover these characters, like it's just it, it does raise a lot of questions of like just what. What is the future? Right. And are they going to open the door? Because you mentioned Big Barda that opens the door to Mr. Miracle. Is that going to be something they play around with? Well, I mean, Tom King is writing the story, the script with Ava DuVernay. He did that whole Mr. Miracle comic. So I would be shocked if Mr. Miracle is not in the New Gods movie. That excites me. Like, yeah, they asked me about it on Movie Talk, and I basically had an orgasm about it. Because the Furies are a great thing to open the door to because the Furious have played on both sides of the fence. They've been villains at times. They've been good people at times. Uh, they've got, they've fought the Suicide Squad before. So there's, there's all kinds of stuff that you can connect because what if James Gunn's movie connects to uh, the new gods in a weird way as well with the Furies. You never know. But I mean, down the road. But I mean, this is the, and this is, I think, at the core of what DC is trying to figure out. We yeah. have been so trained by Marvel to do exactly what you just did, right? Which exactly. Is, Try to create the shared oh, universe. Well, then if like if they're if the yeah. new gods are yeah. here, then is the new Suicide Squad? Could the Furies show up? And could Big right. Bar to be on the like? That's what we want. Right, and right, I think right. that's what everybody would enjoy. And I think DC is gun shy about that now because of what happened with the Snyderverse. Yeah. What and you, so, yeah. Speaking of this, oh, go ahead. So speaking, no, no, the, speaking of the Snyderverse, though, do you think like having Apocalypse be a part of this now and the Furies be a part of this now? We're talk. I mean, uh, Dark Side rather. So we're talking Apocalypse, New Genesis, 
boom tubes, mother boxes, all the stuff that was referenced in Parademons. Justice League. Right, parademons, uh, the anti-life equation. All this stuff now starts to become in the conversation. Will people want it to connect to Justice League or will they let Ava basically create with Tom King the mythology on its own? Uh, see, personally, I, I doubt whether this movie will ever see the light of day. And that's that's just my personal opinion. The new gods, the new gods, because th- those are deep cut characters. I wow. mean, th- I mean, strong I, statement. That's Shane. that's just my opinion. Okay, is that these are deep cut characters within a universe that's already sort of fractured. Yeah. Like, how deep do you think they're going to go down the film connect the connected film? Uh, uh, well, yeah, like, I, I don't think it's going to happen personally. Ava DuVernay is got a couple big wins under her belt right now sure but she's coming off a big loss wrinkle in time yeah well no that uh, she's past wrinkle in time yeah and we are now in uh when they see us yeah when they see us territory yeah. i mean she's pretty much coming off a huge the, the most watched show yeah. on netflix like whatever she redeemed it she came back from, um, that lo- from that loss and tom king is arguably one of the best writers in comics right now okay i could be um, wrong <laughs> I mean, I would say, uh, like, I'm, Tom King has risen to, like, Brian Michael Bendis levels to me. Yeah. Like, I think Tom King is one, like, he's written some of the best, clearly one of the best Batman arcs ever in the past, in years. Um, and his Mr. Miracle thing is, his Mr. Miracle book is amazing as well. Agreed. So I think that uh, it's a strong team. And, you know, I think it's sort of one of those things where it's like, this is what DC should be doing. DC right. should be bold. You know, I mean, there was a point in time where nobody knew who the Guardians of the Galaxy were. Yeah. Right. Um, right now, nobody knows who the Eternals are. Like I said, right? But so. even Guardians of the Galaxy had that Marvel base. Like that was deep into Phase Two when that movie came out. So they had that. That machine was already moving. There's a there's a fair point what you're saying in that there's not as strong of a base on the DC side of things. But they are on a run right now with Aquaman and Shazam. And sure. depending on how Wonder Woman two turns out, my guess is that they will. This movie will get made. I think that it will it's have too much firepower. Not. I think I it like. will have no connection to anything. Mm. Um, I don't think that there's anybody at that. When we, we always say it, but there's all there's nobody at that Kevin Feige level that is making sure that those connections are in place. And if you don't have that person, they just don't happen. Right. Um, so I think, like you know, I think Wonder Woman two, Wonder Woman eighty four is going to come out, and it's just going to be a straight sequel to Wonder Woman. Yeah. Um, although from what I hear, like with a very, very different tone. And then I think you're going to get a new gods movie that has nothing to do with anything. I think you're going to get a Joker movie that's not connected to anything. Um, the birds of prey right. move. I can never remember the full name. The, what is it? The, uh, fantabulous, fantabulous, the fan, yes. of Harley birds Quinn. of prey and the yeah. fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn, which yeah. by the way, I'm excited for that movie just based on the title. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then if suicide and then if Harley Quinn is in the suicide squad sequel with James Gunn, maybe those two will be connected. Yeah. And I think, and then the Batman trilogy is going to come out and have nothing to do with anything. So I think that, They'll we'll go through that. I think they're going to take stock of what works, and then I think they're going to try and make connections after the fact. Yeah, makes sense. All right. Uh, well, we'll see, Shannon. Well, we've had two very serious topics: DC's uh, DC Comics future <laughs> and the Irishman, a potential Oscar winner. So I think we need to keep on this path of serious topics. Yes. I want to talk about the trailer for the sequel that everyone has been waiting for. Yeah. 
Zombieland Double Tap. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wasn't waiting for it, but I'm going to go see it now. <laughs> this trailer came out last week, and, and uh, to me, and, and this will be another bold statement, this is the type of movie that it's the reason movies exist. Like, this is the type of movie wow. where you go in and you check your brain at the door. This is escapism entertainment. You know, the first one came out in 2009, had a very small budget, made a pretty... Pretty penny. Um, they tried to do the Amazon series, which did you? Either of you guys watch that first pilot? No. They, no. Uh, I mean, it was the same writers. It was uh, Reese and Wernick who wrote it, and they sort of made the cardinal sin of TV adaptations of films where they recast the um, the characters. Yeah. And it's like, no. I mean, you have you've established Zombie Land new people like we don't want someone trying to step into Woody Harrelson's shoes like Woody Harrelson is Tallahassee in that movie so funny so rewatchable and it seemed like the Zombieland uh, franchise or or impending franchise was dead and just a few years went by and now we are getting Zombieland 2 double tap everything about this trailer made me smile made me laugh um you know, the first one had that fantastic Bill Murray cameo. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think? Are you as excited for this as I am? Comes out in October. Perfect yeah. Halloween movie. Yeah, true. I don't think I'm as excited as you are. You're very excited right now, but I'm definitely <laughs> excited for it. I, speaking of Oscars, I just think it's hilarious that you have this movie that, to your point, is a check your brain at the door, ridiculous zombie comedy, and the trailer is like, Academy Award nominee Woody Harrelson. Yeah. <laughs> Academy Award nominee Abigail Br- Like, they're all Academy Award nominees or winners. Yeah. And like, so you're like, that's some... That's some star power for your check your movie at the door uh, uh, Sunday afternoon popcorn flick. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think it looks great. I think the first Zombieland was a lot of fun. Um, I, I like I was just saying a little bit ago, like I don't fully remember all of Zombieland. I remember that Bill Murray, they thought he was a zombie and he was just Bill Murray. Yep. Like I thought that was the funniest thing. And I thought I remember really enjoying it. Um, but even not remembering a ton, I really enjoyed the tone of this trailer. And what I really enjoyed about it is that um, – this is one of those things that I really enjoyed in certain episodes of Walking Dead, in the Dawn of the Dead remake, which is human beings are built in a way that we are inherently resilient. And at a certain point when you're living in a world of zombies, it ceases to become super stressful and scary and it just right. becomes the new normal. And I love that this movie is sort of set up as just sort of a family comedy. Like this group of people have found each other. They're a family. They're dealing with family issues and family stress. Abigail Breslin goes and goes off with some got some hippie pot smoker yeah, from yeah, Berkeley, right. and they're like, "Shit, she's with this guy. I hate him." And like they're having a very normal sort of family crisis in the midst of a world with zombies. And I think that is a great idea and really funny. And so like based on that in the trailer, I'm like, "Yep, I mean, I'll go see that." Yeah, I agree. I think I think the family aspect is certainly the one thing that I take away from this trailer that makes me happy because this is what human beings would do. Even in a zombie apocalypse, we would do human being bullshit. You know, we you create essentially a de facto family and then you have that one teenager is going to run off with the guy she shouldn't run off with it's always a lot that's always like part of just life that whole seinfeld ending was weird too where they have they have the the alternate versions of themselves showing up at the end there the alternate Dude, what Dalla was that? Has luke wilson, luke wilson and yeah. thomas middle did I, I, I think they're holding back who's the alternate uh emma stone yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, oh, yeah. I, I want to see who that is. That looks exciting. It just looks ridiculous. Yeah, it does. And, yes. and a lot of fun. And it doesn't repeat the same jokes as the first movie, which I think is smart. It keeps the vibe going. 
All of it just looks looks like a blast. Bill Murray's still in the credits, so he may show up somehow, some way in this movie. Oh Dan Aykroyd's in the credits, so I don't know. You got what? two Ghostbusters in this damn thing. So Ernie I don't know Hudson that shows up at the trifecta. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yes, to your point, I mean, nobody likes celebrating Halloween for the entire month of October more than me. So the more events that I can build or that are uh, on brand and on theme, so this will definitely be yeah. a Halloween... Uh, themed movie outing it's fascinating we're not we'll go bobbing for apples after <laughs> hey oh is that code for something <laughs> not with you guys i okay. go bob for apples with my other gay friends right, you, right. when i want to say to you guys it really means bobbing <laughs> for okay apples. okay cool fair enough <laughs> you know i respect your community i don't want to get involved <laughs> you do what you need to do i respect <laughs> but, but uh yeah and, and it's amazing we're not done with the zombie stuff we're still not done with the zombie stuff we've got a remake of night train to busan or train to busan coming the american remake of that so zombies well, are still a yeah, third, 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 third walking dead, walking dead coming. which they dropped out of nowhere and do you guys know about this show on netflix the kingdom yeah the kingdom that's just uh, that's the bruce lee show bruce lee inspired show or written show yeah about like it's like it's a south korean show it's set in like feudal yeah feudal times sort of like game of thrones and like feudal south korea it's like all about this royal family and all this royal drama and they're zombies yeah yeah <laughs> um nice. no i was actually you know it's funny i was i was I, I was on a date last night hey, ooh. so so bob, me bobbing bob for apples <laughs> okay okay <laughs> a boy doesn't bob for apples and tell uh, <laughs> but uh well, I was the 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 gentleman that yeah. took me out to dinner. Uh, he is a television executive, and we were actually having this discussion. He was oh. like, "I don't get the zombie thing." He goes, "I don't get it. I don't get the zombie thing. I don't get." It. And I was like, "I was kind of saying, I was like, well, look, as a, as a society, we kind of go through monster phases. Yeah, like we all went through a big vampire phase for a very long time, where vampires were the thing, and right. vampires have sort of like gone on the back burner, and zombies have sort of become the thing, and eventually." werewolves or mummies or goblins or demons or something is going to be next and he was like but what is it with zombies and i was like just it's that it's that overpowering force that we just Mm -hmm. can't you do anything about you can't beat i was like i was like when you're living in the world that we're living in today with all the things that we feel powerless about the unbeatable force that we can't do anything about that is a horde of zombies kind of makes sense and the thing is this you mentioned uh, uh vampires and werewolves those are alternate things that are supernatural in some way zombies are basically us just eating brains and eating people that's it we don't you don't get supernatural powers being a zombie all you do is you're just hungry for no, being well, a zombie it sucks. It, yeah. well, but it depends on the iteration though too. you like, mean 28 days well, later 28 stuff? days later world, world war, war z, z like they right. get they get sort of enhanced do they yeah in world war z they're super fast oh right same okay. thing with 28 days later all right but that's those noises <laughs> yeah Jesus Christ. What's the I Am Legend noise? There's, the zombies have a noise there, too. Yeah, but that was a bastardization of oh, that book. Oh, listen to him. Those, those, were, those are vampires Bastardization. Yikes. That's a, that's, a, that's a fantastic book that they... Is it? Oh, okay. it's really good. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Well, we'll see. I mean, zombies are... Uh, they're still here to stay. And yeah, I, think, I think zombies are in for a while. I yeah. am curious as to what the next big monster thing that overtakes our imaginations will be. It'll yeah. be 
Werewolves are always sort of linked to vampires. Like they've never had. They never their... get it right though with werewolves. Well, yeah, I mean they've never they've never right. had their own thing. Like it's always been linked to vampires for the most. Always part. Yeah. It's just that love triangle. Like I got a glittery vampire boyfriend. Oh yeah, I got crack. a werewolf boyfriend. He's gonna imprint on my daughter. It's gonna be super weird. It's tale as old as time, guys. Tale as old as time. <laughs> Send me that song. Uh, all right. Well, there you go. There's our geek news items of the week for the geek buddies. Let's jump into our uh, main topic, and that's Quint- talking about Quentin Tarantino, more of a retrospective now on the heels of his ninth movie coming out, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Everywhere on Twitter, people are counting down their top nine or top ten. They include Death Proof favorite Tarantino movies or the Sin City vignette that he did. Uh, everyone's tossing up their lists. I didn't toss one up because I'm like, eh, there's not technically really ten, and until there's technically really ten, I'm not doing a list of ten. You're, you're, like, you're the top ten guy, and yeah. until there's ten, you don't touch it. You don't, right, we don't you, touch it. We have want, not done it on top ten because there haven't been ten. You don't want to do the nice nine? No. No. Same I, thing with Star Wars. We didn't. We, we haven't counted it down until it gets to ten Star Wars movies. Then we'll count down uh, and do whatever. Ewok movies, brah. Brah. Someone tried Car- to throw the Clone Wars movie, brah. Caravan of Courage. <laughs> Starring Wilford Brimley as Noah. Was nope. That- that's oh, Battle that's- for Endor. Oh, that's Battle for Endor. That's yeah. Battle for Endor. Oh, boy. Uh, I just got Double out. feature. Oof. I can smell it. Just Double can't. feature in our future, guys. <laughs> yes. You know, you're going to yub-nub the night away. <laughs> I promise I'll Skype in for that. Hey, you might lose connection with me, but I'll Skype in. I'll Skype in. Um, so anyway, yeah, so let's talk about it. Shane and I were having a conversation. We went to see Hobbs and Shaw last night. Our friend was bobbing for apples instead at a nice dinner. Uh, <laughs> oh, hobbing for apples? Hobbs and for apples. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, there were a lot of apples in that movie, I'm not going to lie, in Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> Uh, but like, um, good apples, but, uh, but we, we, we kind of got into a conversation over dinner at the Arclight Bar and we just, and we were talking about Tarantino. It just kind of felt natural to talk about, uh, have a retrospective. Well, so, uh, so, since, uh, since yep. I and our listeners were not at this oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. dinner at the, uh, Arclight, why don't you guys, uh, clue us in on what started the conversation? What were you guys talking about? I think we were just basic. I think I had told John like, Hey, so once upon a time in Hollywood, huh? Well, that was a thing. <laughs> yeah, basically that's how it started. And from there, we kind of gave our thoughts about it and then wondered about what kind of movies Tarantino is making now versus the ones he was making at the beginning of his career. Well, interestingly, one of the things he said in an interview about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, mm. which does tie back to an earlier movie, is he says th- there's a type of movie that he said in an interview that he likes to make called a hangout movie. Mm-hmm. And he compared Once Upon a Time in Hollywood to Jackie Brown. Yeah, and that said, makes sense. This is a movie where you watch what happens to these characters, and you really like the characters, and you fall in love with them, and you really just like the characters so much that like every five years you pop the movie on and you watch these characters and you spend time with them. Yeah, and that's what I want this to be. I want to make a hangout movie, and I do think the interesting thing about Tarantino is um, he sort of has reached a point in his career where he's he's never been he's never been one for a traditional structure, right. I mean, from Pulp Fiction on, I mean, the entire movie is out of order. It's told in different chapters. You kind of have to put it together. He's 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 always kind of been that sort of uh, anti-establishment rock star. I'm going to tell the movie the way I want to tell it, and he's got that following because of it. So whether you uh, really loved Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, or yeah. whether you were like like with Shannon, kind of went like, huh, that was a thing, or. Like me, you really enjoyed it, but also feel like it doesn't really have a structure and the characters don't really have arcs. Yeah. Um, it's definitely a Tarantino movie. It definitely sure. feels, even though it's a different kind of movie for him, yeah. it has that feel of a Tarantino movie. Well, you, get, you, you bear this with 
Right, Hateful Eight and Django Unchained. These were the last few ones that he did. Um, his style seems to have changed from what he did with Reservoir and Pulp and Jackie even. Uh, and Inglorious Bastard seems to be where the, the change happened, right? A little more of a grander story with uh, longer run times, more uh, scenes of dialogue, things of that nature. And this one is definitely, as you said, Mike, I think he did achieve that uh, having a hangout film because you're just going on the path with these two guys through the movie and they have good scenes and whatever. But at the end, I don't think you have the same kind of vibe coming out of Django or coming out of uh, uh, Inglorious Bastards that you uh, that you have coming out of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think there's a different feeling at the end of it, and I wonder, uh, you know, if he was just if he if he's covering up a little bit by saying it was just a hangout movie. I don't know. Well, and I think the and not to get into spoilers, but I think yeah. the ending is so jarring. Um, right, it's it's a little bit like because I. I thought the movie took too long to get going. Yeah. Once it got going, I was like, I, I really enjoy the scenes. I enjoy Tarantino's dialogue. I enjoy DiCaprio. I enjoy Brad Pitt. Like, watching everything, the the, the sequence with Bruce Lee, even though it maybe didn't portray him in the best yeah. light, sure, unfortunately. Sure, sure. I mean, I was like, oh, this this is entertaining. Right. Um, but by the end, it's just so like, God, I don't... What was the point of this movie existing? Mm. That's, that's kind of how I felt okay. at the end of it. And... I know we had had a discussion about the comparisons between Inglorious Bastards and, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Well, it's, it, he sort of, and this seems in his later career, and, and, and you can count Django in this as well, it's, a, mm-hmm. it's sort of this uh, alternative history movies. Yeah. Movies, movies, movies where things happen a little bit differently than they really did happen. Um, that, you know, and when he did Inglorious Bastards, a lot of people talked about that. Like, was it the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do to sort of, you know, alter the way things went as sort of like this revenge yeah, film yeah. Uh, Django same way, and uh, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood definitely falls into that category, um, and it's like yeah, it's 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 like that's kind of his thing now. It's kind of yeah. his jam. Um, I don't know. I think do you, you know, pre- yeah, go ahead. No, what were you gonna? I said, do you prefer the first half of his career versus what's hap- the second half, which is happening now? Because I mean, you can put the cutoff around Kill Bill Volume Two. Then he does that vignette on Sin City. Then he does the Grindhouse. The Grindhouse thing is the first thing he's ever been really involved in that didn't make money when it came out. It is him and Robert Rodriguez, but it was a Quentin Tarantino production. Like He made that very clear. He wanted a three-hour experience in the theaters. And then they separated Death Proof out. Then it was Inglorious, Django, Hateful Eight, and now Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So do you take Kill Bill, Volume 1 and 2, Jackie Brown, uh, Pulp Fiction, and Reservoir over the back half of his career with Inglorious, Django, Hateful Eight, and Once Upon a Time? I, I think there's good stuff throughout. Oh, like, of course. Like, like, yeah, like, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll say this for his career. There's not one of those movies that I think is a bad movie. Yep, agree. I mean, I think each one of them is very Tarantino. And each one of them has some. The strengths are really, really, really strong. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just from a nostalgia standpoint, like I remember, my mom and dad took me, my sister, and my friend Noah Pace, who was my movie buddy in high school. Right. Uh, they took us to see Pulp Fiction, uh, which I saw before I saw Reservoir Dogs. So oh. Pulp Fiction was the first Tarantino film I had seen. Right. And they left twenty five minutes in. Oh, <laughs> they did not. They were not prepared. Your parents left. Parents left. So you and Noah stayed. And Sarah. And Sarah. Yeah, my sister. Uh, the three of us stayed yeah. and thought it was one of the greatest movies. We. I mean, I remember everyone in school 
when Pulp Fiction came out, like people, we just kept going over and yeah. over. Like, I mean, people would just kept going to the theater to see it. Like, it was it was an obsession. Yep. Like, like I think Pulp Fiction kind of overtook pop culture in a way that very few movies up to that point had. Uh, and and people were so into it. So for me, Pulp Fiction always will be like sort of special in that way. Yeah. Um, Jackie Brown probably would be lower on my list. It never quite did it for me. Yeah. Um, Kill Bill Volume One and Kill Bill, Kill Bill Volume Two are like tops for me as well. Yeah. Even though I hate, hate, hate that Superman monologue in Kill Bill Volume Two. It's a good monologue. I, I hate it. It's a hundred percent wrong, and it makes me so mad. But. Other than that, I think the Kill Bill movies are spectacular. Is it wrong? We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> That's a debate for another day. Maybe a bonus thing on Geek Buddies one day. Uh, what do you think, Shane? Would you take the first half or the back half? I, I think I'm with Mike. I mean, I like I like bits and pieces here and there. Now, I mm. saw Pulp Fiction way after it came out. Okay. So after that, the, the new format he sort of introduced, telling the film out of sequence. Right, right. Um, so when I finally did see it, I was more a little like, oh, I've seen this before. But it was only going back and rewatching it that you can really appreciate the performances like John Travolta and Bruce Willis, yeah. Samuel L. Jackson. Um, Reservoir Dogs, I really enjoy. Kill Bill Volume 1, don't really like. What? I oh. don't really like Kill Bill Volume I like, 1. I like Volume 1 more than Volume 2. See, yeah. I like Volume 2 more than Volume 1. Like, Fast, I, you are rare. I know. Not a lot of people like I know. Volume 2 I am a, I am, a, I am a unicorn yeah, <laughs> when it comes to this. Truth. Because after Kill, like, it was just... Did you like that Superman monologue? Because I will walk the fuck out of here. <laughs> I'm out. Geek buddy out. <laughs> I just I just enjoyed like I, I thought Kill Bill Volume One, it just got a little too cartoonish for me at like, the end. Li- literally. Like, <laughs> like like literally. That was the point of the Oranisha thing, Shannon. Oh um, my god, I never put that together. <laughs> oh my god. Um I think he really hit his peak with Inglorious Bastards. Like that is my wow. favorite Tarantino film. And maybe it's because I like I, I, I like World War Two stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um that could have something to do with it. Also I love watching Christoph Waltz. Um, Christoph Waltz is great. He's so, yeah. so good. I will say I love Hateful Eight. Yeah. Like like I know a lot of people don't I don't get it. I love it the, as much. I, enjoy I, the fuck out of Hateful I Eight. think Hateful Eight I it is such a fun movie. Oh yeah. And it com- because it all takes place in that farmhouse, it's all just those actors performing the shit out of everything. And I mm-hmm. think it's just a fascinating movie to watch like i have a blast also i think it's hilarious that kurt russell broke a priceless guitar guitar <laughs> yeah, yeah like yeah, it was yeah. like yeah that he that they had you know about that right that yeah. they had the they had that like guitar that they got on loan from the museum and that was like the special guitar and they had another prop guitar that was supposed to break but kurt russell was in the scene and he broke it yeah. and everybody like lost their shit and like <laughs> That just makes me laugh. If you're the prop guy, do you just lay your walkie down and just walk away? And just, like, <laughs> just, and just run away and just like, and just like never it. go back? There's a lot of things stars can get away with. This was not one of them. Yeah, yeah true, true, true. Um, uh, I, I like the first half of Hateful Eight. Everything pre-intermission. Yeah. After, after the intermission, I'm like, it gets too... It's too much for me. I think. Well, see, it's too bloody. Oh, see that that. Yeah. But see, this is another thing that is like sort of a vintage sort of Tarantino thing. Um, and even up through Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, at the ending is Tarantino violence is extreme, but it's also so extreme yeah. that it ceases to become upsetting to me. And I don't think that I'm a okay. desensitized person. There are other movies I see where I'm like, oh, I can't watch that. But right. like Tarantino violence is so over the top that my reaction is just to sort of almost like laugh out loud in the theater. Like I can't help. Like, and so I, that, mm. so whether it was, uh, 
you know, Pulp Fiction or Django or Hateful Eight or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like there, I just, I'm just sort of, it's so ridiculously huge yeah. that I just, it doesn't actually bother me. It's just sort of a part of his sort of vintage style to me. I think that's where, uh, where my issues come in with his latter half of his career because of that. The, the violence has become so cartoonish um, that where he had real serious violence in Reservoir and in Pulp and even in Kill Bill, even though at times like the crazy 88s, I mean, yeah, all crazy that. It's like, isn't the blood shooting right up? Yeah, like, yeah it, I mean, is, like, it is, but it's not like what you see in uh, Inglorious Bastards with all, essentially yeah. they're shooting a dummy up to pieces and then what happens in, in Django Unchained at the end there. Uh, I, think the, the, I think he was using violence as a way to shock people in the first few first half of his career and now it's used as a way to kind of like make fun of the situation make people almost comfortable with it which is weird yeah i mean i that's a good point i yeah i it's very funny i think that there's very few you know it was it was interesting this past weekend uh, I was like, okay, like I had a busy weekend. We had a lot going on. I'm like, oh, well, let's go see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood on Sunday night. Right. And on Saturday, I was like, oh, let me check the movies just to see what I can do. It'll be Sunday night, whatever. And it was hard to find tickets. Yeah. And granted, we live in LA. We're a very movie-centric city. But I was thinking about it, and I think that – look, we have a lot of amazing directors the, that are mo- – not – we have our old-school directors. We have our Spielbergs. We have our Scorseses. We have like – you know, we have that whole crew. Uh Tarantino is really in a class by himself. Yeah. He's one of the few directors that I can think of that he opens a movie on his own. It doesn't like, look, yep. having Brad Pitt and Leo in your movie doesn't hurt, but people weren't going to see a Leo movie. People weren't going to see a Brad Pitt movie. They were going to see a Tarantino movie. Yeah. And I think that for better or for worse, uh, love him, hate him, like his earlier work better, not, you know, like he is, he's, he's a, He's a force unto himself in Hollywood, mm-hmm. which is very interesting. Yeah. No one does what he does. No. That's true. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and that was, that was something else. Like, it was just so long. Right. It was a it's long. two hours and 45 minutes. Long movie. Well, and if you're going to make a hangout movie, that's how it's going to be. It's going to be a two hour and 45 minute movie. You're just rolling with these people and seeing the changes in their lives and where they end up in by, uh, uh, or end up at by the end of the movie. So that makes sense. The question now is like, okay, and to make this, to ask you guys this, do you think his next one is his last one? And what do you want to see? Do you want to see a Kill Bill Volume 3, something original, or a Star Trek movie? What would you want to do? First, do you think he'll stop at 10? And what would you want to see be his 10th? I think he'll stop at 10, but I also think he'll fudge that to do Star Trek. Ooh. That's, I think, I think that will be an exception. I mean, he didn't say he was going to direct a Star Trek. He just said he's going to write a Star Trek. He did. Right? That's his technical way of getting out of it. Yeah. Um, well, I, and, and also, I think that's a different. Like, look, I don't think that Tarantino is going to do one more film and then go off into his little like Hollywood uh, yeah, bungalow. hills bungalow yeah. and just live out the rest of his <laughs> life with his movie collection and a pile of cocaine. Like, I don't know what he's going to like. I, like, that's not going to be his life. He will direct. There will be one more or two, depending on how you count it, Tarantino yeah. films, okay. and then he will continue to write and produce and do other stuff. Like do he think, will. Do you think TV's in his future? Maybe. Like he he loves, and this is very apparent in all of his movies. Once upon a time in Hollywood, maybe more so than most, he loves Hollywood. Yeah. 
I mean, he loves it. He loves old Hollywood. He loves old television. He loves everything. Like he, uh, he and Leo were uh, were being interviewed about uh, the character of Rick Dalton in mm-hmm. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Leonardo was like, he was just talking about like he had never seen any of these TV shows, and Quentin has like collections of them, yeah, and was just whipping out these things. Let me show you this actor. Let me show you this actor. Like he just loves it all so much. He'll be doing this till he's dead. Yeah, I mean, he will he will be working in it in some capacity. I think that he has his vision for what he wants to do. I mean, I don't think it'll be a sequel. I hope it's not a sequel. Maybe it is. Uh, may- maybe it would be like a-, a thing that circles back on everything. Yeah. You know, maybe he makes a movie that sort of ties all his movies together in some way, and that's sort of his opus, and we're all like, fuck, he did it, and then he's going to be like, I'm out. Right, right. Um, but, yeah, he's one of those few people that, like, again, and we'll talk about this in our spoiler review, even though I have my issues with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood... I still sat there and I was like, wow, this is a Tarantino movie. Agreed. Uh, and, and there's an enjoyment to sit there and watch it in a way that I can't think of another director where I sit where where I sit there and the director's imprint is so prevalent on the screen. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, Paul Thomas Anderson's films might be the closest thing. Yeah, but I don't but the- like that imprint as much. <laughs> <laughs> so that is true. That's fair. That is true. That's but that is fair. not an imprint that I yeah. necessarily enjoy. Yeah, he's, he's not a populist filmmaker, that's for sure. For all of Tarantino's eccentricities in his filmmaking, he very much has his finger on the pulse of the pop well, culture. And it's very much like, I mean, look, he Spielberg is no longer this way. Spielberg right. has matured as a director in a way that his movies aren't all, you know, capital bold-faced Spielberg movies right. but when you look at early Spielberg and you look at all those movies I yeah. mean the William score the blue lights the everything like, there was there was a magic to a Spielberg movie where right. it felt very Spielberg and like Tarantino is that in a very different and more violent <laughs> way but it's definitely that I what's wonder, your what's your favorite yeah. we talked about like older you know yeah. like the older versus the newer whatever but what is your favorite Tarantino movie and why Glorious Bastards by far, just this, just just the, the World War Two of it all. The World War Two of it all. The Christoph Waltz of it all. I mean, the mm. the time he takes with all of Christoph Waltz's scenes, um, where he's just setting the trap for these people to walk into. I I, I can turn on Inglorious Bastards whenever because it's violent, especially at the end. Yeah. But I don't feel like it's it's one of his. It's not one of his most violent movies by far. Like mm. it's it's all about the language. Yeah. I know, I know, I know. You're not a big fan. Not you're, you're not as big a fan of it as yeah, I. Yeah, I don't dislike it, but it's not one that I went back to over and over again. Uh, my favorite is the whole bloody affair, which is both of them together, and it's a cheat. But fuck you, I can do that. Uh, it's Kill Bill Volume One and Volume Two because he shot him, and he said in numerous interviews as one movie. He split him up because Weinstein made him split him up. He didn't have to. Uh, and so for me, that's the film. That's the number one film for me. I love it two pieces. I think it's brilliant. It's incredibly well acted. It's a great revenge story that stars a woman, which rarely happens. It's a samurai film, for God's sakes. All of it is in here that checks John Roca's buttons from top to bottom. Great performance from Michael Madsen. Daryl Hannah, for God's sakes, the mermaid from Splash, kicking ass in that thing. All of it is just so good. And the journey to where you get to with her and David Carradine, that's a 45-minute ending. That's mind-blowing. And it's all in that little hotel or wherever they're at until you get to that that end. And so for me, overall, that's my favorite. I think it's... I think it's the most well-written one he's ever done, the most well-acted one he's ever done, and the most enjoyable one that I find almost no holes in. I agree. I was going to say Kill Bill Volume 1, but mm-hmm. I will say like the whole Kill Bill, I think that's the best 
he's ever been. I yeah. think that I think that that built on what I loved about Pulp Fiction and took it to a level that he was allowed to get to because of the successes he had under his belt. Yeah, where he was allowed to just push the limit on things and go even further. Um, yeah, if I could just get rid of that goddamn Superman monologue, it would be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I would say this, and it's the last time is his. It's it's last time before he really dials into the cartoonish nature of his violence. I wish he'd go back to that. I wish he'd go back to what he did in Kill Bill and, and Pulp and Reservoir and make it a little more real. I would like that. Or maybe his last film was something like Fellini's Eight and a Half, where it's about him, a film about him as a director, like looking back on his career and what he's going to do next. Because he's been doing this now 20 some, 27 years. I mean, because Reservoir, I think, is 92. And so you're looking at this 2019. He's only done nine films. That's kind of mind blowing to be wow. in the conversation. <laughs> in the conversation of things, I don't yeah, know if they John, caught me there. John got so excited that he ripped the microphone out of the cord. So. <laughs> He's getting really good. Somebody, everybody, calm down in here. We're talking Tarantino. It's fine. I was just saying. I think it's. I think it's. It's mind blowing that he's been able to keep our national attention as film going public for twenty seven years, and he's only done nine movies in that time. Yeah. It's incredible. Incredible. Uh, all right, well, that's a good place to stop, I think, uh, for this episode of the Geek Buddies. I uh, really want to appreciate. I uh, really appreciate all y'all listening to us and giving us some uh, love, Mike. What do, what do we want to tell them? Uh, we want to tell you guys to. Uh, we want you to leave us some stars. We want you to leave us some comments. We want you to tell us your favorite Tarantino films. We want mm. you to tell us what you thought about our conversation about Tarantino. Because the more that you talk about us online, the more people find us and the more people join in the conversation. So that's always super important to us. Uh, as much as we love all of you guys listening, we want even more people to. Yeah. yeah, and you know, I was telling John last night, like, I actually went on to iTunes and I read the comments. And, and who, for those of you who love comments, thank you. That was, that was some very nice words. Like, yeah. certainly, certainly appreciate it. Like, the three of us would be doing this regardless. Right, um, having these conversations, but just uh, hearing your all's thoughts on on what we've been doing—that's that's so nice. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, if you would like to follow us on social media on Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies. On Instagram, it's at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you would like to follow me personally on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung, and on Instagram at Shannon the Geek Buddy. There and you go. I am at MK Toon on uh, Twitter and Instagram. And yeah, definitely like leave your comments on Twitter. We all check the Twitter feed. We, we like to engage with you guys. We like to chat about it. Uh, we love to hear your guys' opinions on things. Um, some of you guys are our most our most tweetable fans. Uh, you guys are awesome. We love you. Yeah. So keep tweeting to us, and uh, we'll talk to you there. Absolutely. Uh, you can follow me at the Roca says uh, on Twitter and on Instagram. See all the stuff I'm doing there, and I echo everything both of you have said. You know, it's been great. We're building this from the ground up. With like no help, we're not on any network. We just love talking about this kind of stuff. And so you all retweeting these episodes and telling your friends about these episodes, that's how it's going to spread to where we build a strong fan base. Because one of my goals with this uh, show is for all of us to do a live show, start doing live the Geek Buddies. We'll do it live. In res- we'll, we'll do it live. We'll do it live. Uh, be in residence somewhere where we do a Geek Buddies live show every month. That would be fun. So we got to get there to have the fan base to people come out and see our kind of thing. And we can't do that without you all spreading the word about us. Hit so. us up on Twitter. Tell us if yep. you like if you'd like a live show. Also, anybody else who hates that goddamn Superman oh monologue God. in Kill go. Bill Volume Two, tweet at us. We'll talk about it. Mm. Drives me crazy. It does. It does. He doesn't get Superman, guys. He doesn't get him. You know what drives me crazy? Tweeting from the account without passing it through the three of us. That, you know, as if it's his own. 
his own thoughts on our on the Geek Buddies Twitter account. Because if you post about that Superman monologue, that is your opinion, your opinion alone. I love that Superman monologue. What do you think about the Geek Buddies Instagram, though, John? That's doing well. It's well handled. A lot of good pictures. Good hashtags on that. Death touch. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll I'll try to do better on the Twitter. Hashtag Vogel side. (sighs) Hashtag bobbing apples, bobbing apples. All right, guys. Well, we'll talk to you next time on The Geek Buddies. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.